Amen. I really appreciate you guys for coming out to church this summer. We've, we've, I see a few empty seats out there today, but it's to be expected in the summertime. But we've had great attendance throughout the summer, really strong attendance. And I love it. You know how it is when you, when you don't really want to do something, you always look for an excuse. You know, it's, it's, it's raining and, uh, and you don't want to go because it's raining or the sun's shining and it's too nice. You, it's the only chance to work out in the yard. So when you don't want to do something, you're always looking for an excuse. But I've watched you this summer, rather than feeling like you're looking for a reason, because summer always gives you a lot of reasons not to go to church if you don't really want to. But I've, I've watched so many of you just be so faithful this summer to, to attend church and to worship with us. And so it's good to see uh, those of you who aren't traveling or going to the ocean, whatever, this, this Sunday here today with us today. We're gonna, I want to talk to you today about... Uh, Loving the brethren. Uh, it's a very specific subject, but I want to go even more specific, and we're talking about thinking together, thinking together as, as, a, as a church and as a group of people, what does it mean to think together and to begin to have a, a, a unity of thought in mind? Now, there's, there's such a thing as tribalism. I believe tribalism is really evil. Tribal, tribalism is when uh, we're completely, completely captured by groupthink. We, none of us can think apart. You don't have permission to think your own thoughts. I don't have permission to think mine. We have to all think the same thing. And anybody who's not a part of us is the enemy. Tribalism shuts people out. Tribalism, you, you will hear uh, at Bethany Community Church and many other great churches, a constant focus on welcoming the outsiders, welcoming the strangers, welcoming the visitors. That's not the language of a tribalist. And I've, you've, you've probably been to places where they were tribal. You've, I've been to churches that felt tribal. That I've been to churches where they wouldn't even speak to you. They wouldn't tell you about what was going on or where the... I remember my kids were small, and Sherry and I were going around looking for a church for a short period of time. We were amazed to go to churches, and they would see us with two little kids in tow, and no one would come over and say, do you know we have a nursery, or do you know we have children's church? It was just amazed. I felt like I'd stepped into someone else's tribe. But you know how it is when you step into someone else's tribe, you feel uncomfortable. But where there's tribal love, now that's different. Tribal love is really healthy. Tribal loyalty and tribal love. You, you've probably been at some point in your life gone to somebody's house where the family really loved each other and there was great loyalty and love and you felt welcome there and you felt awesome there and you felt like you were a part of that family. That's what happens when you have tribal love. So specifically today, I want to drill down on though this concept of loving the brethren. We believe in loving everybody. We believe in loving the whole world. We believe in loving your neighbors. The Bible even teaches us to love our enemies, to love those who abuse us and hurt us. The Bible teaches us to love everybody. That There's no exclusion to our love. But the Bible also teaches us to love the people that we love. The Bible also teaches us to love the brethren. The Bible also teaches us to love the people down at the church and have a very special relationship with them. So I specifically want to drill down on the concept of thinking together with other serious Christ followers who have created a sacred space to worship, work for, and unite around the Christ we believe in. 
Now, if you're an outsider today, if you're someone you're here and you don't believe in Christ and you're not a Christ follower, I hope you can listen in and appreciate what we're talking about. I hope you can think, you know, that if I were to become a believer, that's what I would want to be a part of. If I were to start following Christ, I would want to become a part of a church like that. That's what I hope you conclude today. Uh, you know, the phrase, they kept to themselves is the description usually of a serial killer. There are a lot of dimensions of fellowship, but today I just want to talk about not keeping to ourselves. I want to talk about the beauty of seeing the people that, you, that have created a sacred space for work, working together, worshiping together, and uniting around the Christ that we love I want to talk to you about not keeping to yourselves from those people, but becoming a part of those people in many of, there's a dozen ways you can do that. Um, last Sunday, uh, I had the privilege, I don't get to have very often, is to visit somebody else's church. Some of you may remember uh, Don and David Crabtree, who pastored Worcester, great friends of ours and just wonderful, amazing people, and Dave has passed away from Parkinson's disease, but Don, his widow, still lives in Boca Raton, and we were in Deerfield Beach. So we drove over on Sunday morning. We met Don at her son-in-law's church, Church of All Nations, and it caused me to rethink of why I go to church and why that was meaningful to me. I love to go to church on vacation. I don't really understand people who, who take a vacation from going to church, because to me, going to church is a part of resting to me. It's a part of renewing. It's a part of recreating to me. And we had, well, well, it was a great service. Uh, they had a choir that led worship. It was kind of, a, if you're familiar with Brooklyn Tabernacle, it was a Brooklyn Tabernacle, tabernacle style of worship. And I, I really enjoyed that they, they selected a theme, and the theme was God's grace through difficult times. That was the theme of the music, and that really spoke to me. And Because as I thought back over the last three or four years of our lives and some of the trials we've walked through and the music was, 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 was great as they drilled down on these themes. And the musicianship was really great, kind of professional level musicians. They even had a saxophone solo and a guitar solo in the middle of the music. And I really enjoyed that, really good. And, and the guy who led worship was really good. So, so there was that great experience of experiencing uh, the presence of God there. And, and they were friendly. I asked an usher about the password for the uh, server, and he went and got a guy who came and t gave me the password, and it was real hard. It was one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> so if you're ever in Boca and need a, need a server, just type that in, see if you're close to the church. Uh, and, the, and the guy... The guy got up and preached, and it was a very uplifting sermon on blessing the Lord. And he talked about blessing the Lord. And, and I realized in my own life how forgetful I am to bless the Lord. And it just really was an inspiring message to begin to see the good things that God is doing in your life. And, and all that's so good to experience the church as a place to go and be inspired to be encouraged and to, to experience the presence of God. Church services should be a good experience. It should be a good experience. A, a church cannot say it loves people and then not serve them with excellence. But I need something more, though. I need something more than that wonderful service gave me. I need something more from a church, something I probably can't get by just visiting, something that I can't get by being a guest 
something that is so dynamic that it can be dangerous, kind of like electricity or a rushing river or automobiles or uh, airplanes or nuclear power. And that is church as a place to think. And church people as people to think with. The church as a think tank has a far more important purpose in my life and my existence than church as just a place for visits with God. Not minimizing those refreshing, those cleansing, grace-refueling hours that I've spent in church, and I've spent a lot of them. Seasons of presence, though, let me say this. Seasons of presence don't set the course of my life as much as the conversations that I have with God's people. Conversations about how I think about eternal salvation, death, relationships, money, the stewardship of my body, the environment, my attitude toward the downtrodden, social justice, race relationships, how I would relate to drugs and alcohol, my choice of entertainment, parenting, marriage, my sexuality, and so much more. When I see the church as a place and a group of people that I not only am served by and I serve with, but people that I begin to think with. In his final book, When Kingfishers Catch Fire, and by the way, I want, I want to make sure you don't have to, I appreciate uh, any nice texts that assure me that of, uh, that you're blessed by my preaching I, or, or emails. I do appreciate those and keep them coming because I have massive insecurity. So <laughs> I keep, keep them coming. But this doesn't, this, this, what I'm about to share with you doesn't come from a place of frustration or, or anything like that. It's just, uh, I, I just want to, I, I want to show you from this, uh, this section from the book by Eugene Peterson um, about how sometimes we can come to church and we can miss this gift that we have in this room. If we only come, if we only come as a place of presence and we only place, come as a place of experience and we don't come as a place to figure out our philosophy for life, if we don't come to, to church as a place to figure out what our standards are and what, how we want to live our lives, and I, I think you'll enjoy Eugene Peterson talking about, he's talking about, he, he's talking about his experience in a class in college on the French Revolution, which was taught in such a boring manner, it was very boring, and he yawned through the class. And he relates that to church, and he talks about when he first started pastoring, Eugene Peterson says, years later as a young pastor, years later after being in that boring French uh, Revolution class, I was astonished to find men and women in my congregation yawning. Scott Erickson went to sleep every Sunday. He always made it through the first hymn, but ten minutes later was sound asleep. Red Belton, an angry teenager, sat on the back pew out of sight of his parents and read comic books. Carl Strotheim, a bass in the choir, passed notes supplemented by whispers on stock market tips to Luther Olson. <laughs> One woman gave me hope. She, bought, she brought a stenographic notebook with her every Sunday and wrote down in shorthand everything I said. At least one person was paying attention. 
Then I learned she was getting ready to leave her husband and was using, was using the, the hour of worship to practice her short end so she could get a self-supporting job. <laughs> These were most of them good people, nice people. They were familiar with the Christian faith, knew the Christian story, and showed up on time for worship each Sunday. But they yawned. How could anyone go to sleep 10 minutes after singing blessing and honor and glory and power? How could anyone practice shorthand when the resurrected Christ was present in word and sacrament? How could anyone sustain interest in Batman when St. Paul's Romans was being read? <laughs> I had a congregation of saints and sinners who knew everything about the Christian life except that the gospel had redefined everything and everyone set everything and everyone in participating relationship to a holy God. Something like what the French Revolution was to the French in the 18th century. The energy that created a community of free men and women plunged into new life. My congregation knew the word Christian pretty well, but holy? Something blazing? A community bonfire? A revolution? Alistair Begg said, Whatever shapes your mind, shapes your life. Whatever shapes your mind, shapes your life. Does your relationship with the, with the body of Christ, does your relationship with the church, big C, little C, you're in the little C this morning, big C, little C, does it inform how you think? Does it inform what you believe does it inform your life and practice? There's a lot of voices out there today. It's getting really noisy. More and more, I need a place to go think. But I don't just need to go think alone. I need people to think with. I need people who will help me take the headlines what's happening in the news, what's happening in the streets what's happening in Washington, D.C., what's happening around the world. I need people that I can talk about that with. I, I need people who will help me decide what is true and what is not true. More and more, the world is becoming a place where you can't talk about everything you think and feel. It used to be that that's what universities were for. School was used to be a place where you went and talked about what you thought, what you feel, no matter what it was. But those who once preached tolerance are now saying, no, we don't want tolerance anymore, we want truth. But they've shut out all Christian truth. <laughs> they've said, no, no, we can't talk about, you can't talk about creationism here because we don't believe in creationism. And you can't talk about uh, so many subjects. You can't talk about biblical morality here. We don't talk about that anymore. Uh, we have the truth. And so if you are going to talk about anything but what this we have defined, then you cannot talk about that here. So we don't, we, we've, with that tolerance thing, that was a bad idea. We, we were into that a few years ago, but we were wrong. Now, now, that, now that we've shut the voices of Christianity in the culture, we were all wrong about tolerance. Now we just need truth. But we have truth, okay? So unless you agree with our truth, then we don't want to talk to you. 
I don't want to complain about that or start whining about that. That's stupid to sit there and whine about that. There's good to be said for that. And one of the good things to be said for that is now Christianity is getting clearer. It's getting clearer what a Christian is. But this house, this building, this room, and all the rooms associated, and our great fellowship needs to be a place where we can talk about anything and everything. Amen? Where we can think together. The culture's getting loud. I love what I read Bob Goff's tweeted out this week. Bob Goff, by the way, he's just an amazing, fun person. Follow Bob Goff. He's great. He said, don't listen to the loudest voice. Find the truest one. Don't listen to the loudest voice. Find the truest one. This is not to suggest that the church always gets it right and the culture always gets it wrong. In fact, I've noticed that sometimes when the church ignores truth, then the next voice of truth we will hear will be from the culture. I've talked about this before, but for some of you it will be new information. Very, very relevant for the times that we're living in and the events that have happened in the last eight or nine days. Uh, the Assemblies of God has its roots in a place called Azusa Street. Azusa Street was a place where an African-American brother began to pray in, a, in an old stable, basically, a place where people took their horses and stuff back in 1906. And there on Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California, he would pray. He would actually put his head over in a pitch basket and begin to pray as a few people would gather. And the Holy Spirit began to move in that room in a very powerful way. And people began to show up from all over the country of every race. Asians, Hispanics, blacks, of course, and whites began to show up and experience the power of the Holy Spirit in a very powerful way. People would come in drunk as they could be and be sobered immediately by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was such a revival that it spread across the United States. Uh, ended up in a meeting in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1914, and a group of people got together and formed the Assemblies of God, which this church is a part of. And they made a very tragic wrong decision. They decided the culture, you see, was very segregated. We were very segregated as a culture. Everybody was segregated. It wasn't a matter of, well, the liberals weren't segregated, the conservatives were. Everybody was segregated. Everything was segregated. And the Assemblies of God decided, rather than to stand up for truth, they decided to go along with the culture, which they probably didn't see it that way at the time. And they chose to be segregated. They chose to turn their backs on the African Americans. The African Americans went and formed an organization uh, called the Church of God in Christ. And only in the last, well, about 20 years ago, there was a special recon racial reconciliation meeting in Memphis, Tennessee, where white brothers went and began to wash black brothers' feet in a meeting in Memphis. And it, there was a public repentance by our denomination for making those decisions. So, uh, the culture gets it right sometimes. They do. The great apostle Paul stood before Greek cultural leaders in Athens at a venue called Mars Hill and affirmed the gospel of Jesus Christ by quoting their poets. 
He said, their poets said, in him we live and move and have our being. So I'm not in any way suggesting that the brotherhood of believers is to be isolated from the world around or anything less than humble servants of society. Nothing less. But sometimes we must choose between Christ and Caesar. That's when I need my spiritual family to help me choose the right path. By the way, the failure of the Assemblies of God to get a critical social issue right in 1914 doesn't give me less faith in the church at all as a place to learn to think and to think together. It gives me more. Think how close we came to being a transformational source in society. Think how close we came to getting it right when everybody else was getting it wrong. Think how close we became to become the leaders of culture and of society. Think how far ahead of our time we were if we would have listened to the Holy Spirit. If we would have listened to God, think how close we came. So that makes me believe in the church even more. That makes me believe that we need to talk even more. We need to have even more conversations. Because once again, we may have the opportunity to get it right when the world out there is getting it wrong. We did not trust where God was leading us in 1914. We went along with the narrative of our time. It would be 41 years later in 1955 that Pastor Martin Luther King would be chosen by the AACP to be the protest leaders of the Birmingham boycott of the city's mass transit. And it was 1956 when the Supreme Court would rule that segregated seating on buses was unconstitutional. Once again, church... We need to be aware that we have the mind of Christ. That we have the mind of Christ. That we have the opportunity, if we will not just see this as a place to go worship, which it is, but we see this as a place to go think, a place to learn, a place to realize the wisdom of God for our lives. The New Testament scriptures and the capable visionary leadership of Apostle Paul made no apologies when it assumed that the church would be the place where serious followers of Christ would see their congregation of Christ followers as the space in which they would define reality for themselves. I said they made no apologies that Christ followers would see the sacred space of their fellowship as the place that they would define reality for themselves. I come together with you to define reality. I don't, I don't go to Fox or CNN or Breitbart or Washington, D.C. or the public universities. As important as they all, the, the place that they all have, I don't go to them to discover my reality. I want to come to you to discover my reality. I want us to have a conversation around the scripture and there define what I think about, whatever I think about. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, I know that there's a, many of these statements can be taken in a community or global sense. I understand that. But don't forget that Paul is also talking about a very local community body of Christ sense when he talks about being united with Christ any fellowship of the Spirit, any tenderness of compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded. He's not talk being, talking there about being like-minded with every guy walking down the street, with everybody driving by this building, with everybody you work with, with everybody in government, everybody in education. He's not talking about being like-minded with everybody in the universe. He's talking about being like-minded with the serious followers of Jesus Christ who have created a sacred place to worship work, and, and be united with the Christ that they believe in. It goes on to say in chapter 3, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. If at some point you think diff differently, God will make clear to you. He, I love the fact he's, he's telling us this is a think tank. This is a place to think. If you think differently... That's okay. God is going to help us clear that up someday to show us who is right. Thinking together doesn't mean that you quit thinking. It doesn't mean that I quit thinking. It means we think together in the presence of God and we refuse above all to think apart from God. I said we refuse above all to think apart from God. That's what sets us apart. That's why we're different than other civic organizations because we're a place that refuses if we get it right we, ref we think together and we refuse to think apart from God God's word is the last word it goes on to say a lot of things there uh, not sure I want to yeah, yeah let's go ahead and just read it that way we won't miss anything only let us live up to what we have already attained, joining with others and following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Let me just give you this morning three reasons we should think together. Let us think together, number one, because the church is our spiritual home. This church is our spiritual home. Do you have a spiritual home? This is my spiritual home. 15 Cape Road is my address. If God wants to send me any mail that he doesn't want to send to my home address, he can send it here because I'm going to come here to also to check my mail. 15 Cape Road. Seven times, you know, John the Revelator writes in Revelation chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Seven times he says these words. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Often, when God wants to leave you a voicemail, he will leave it at your inbox at the church. Seven times, seven churches, and God had something different to say to every single group. 
That's why you can't write off the local church. That's why you can't go, well, I just believe, I'm just a member of the church universal. And I don't have to belong to any group, particular group of believers because I just belong to the body of Christ. Like one guy told me, he said, I'm a roaming Catholic. <laughs> Some of you are roaming Catholics, church to church. You need a spiritual address, brother. You need to settle down somewhere. You need to find out where God is sending your mail. <laughs> Often when God wants to leave you a voicemail, he will leave it at your inbox at the church, right? I said that a minute ago. Everybody has a spiritual home. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's what I say. That means we've made a decision that our spiritual address will be with the serious Christ followers who create a sacred place to worship, work, and unite around the Christ we believe in. Let us think together because the church is our spiritual home. Secondly, let us think together because we are designed to discover truth through, through conversation. I love this uh, image by the leadership freak, and it's because this is the way, this is the way you grow. First answers feel right, but second questions burst the bubble of perceived knowledge. <laughs> When you come together with people. See, part of, part, of, part of thinking together is you become authentic. It's not coming in here and agreeing with everybody all the time. It's you come in here and you declare what you think. And then we tell you you're wrong. <laughs> no, no, we don't always tell you you're wrong. Sometimes you tell us we're wrong. A Christian conversation has three components. What you think, what another person thinks, and what God thinks. That's what a Christian conversation has three components. What you think, and sometimes you got to get it down on the table. And you got to just declare what you think. You're not worried about being wrong. You're not worried about somebody saying you're wrong. You're not so thin-skinned that if somebody says you're wrong, you're going to lose your mind. Because you believe in dialogue. You believe in dialogue. You believe that conversation leads to right thinking. Now today we're big on equality, Right? We're big on equality. Equality, though, equality and egalitarianism, under the big word, doesn't change the nature of the discovery of truth and wisdom. It doesn't change it. Eve and Adam, as far as we can tell, before they fell into sin, had an egalitarian relationship, equal. We don't see anything else in the Bible. It's only after sin that that, that dynamic had some changes. And we find that Eve, think about this, Eve saw the forbidden fruit differently after she had a conversation with a snake. She saw the forbidden fruit one way when she had only talked to God about it. But when she talked to the serpent about it, she saw it differently. The history of the world would be nothing but peace and prosperity if she had had a conversation with God and her husband before she made the faithful decision to taste the pleasure of being independent of wise counsel. Eve's problem was that she didn't talk, she didn't think together with the people that it was she was ordained to think together with. She thought with the wrong guy. She got together with the wrong guy and had a, had a wrong conversation. I always, think, I always think of what 
what Eden said the other day, my grandson, he said, turn off the TV and let's have a conversation. <laughs> we need to turn off the TV and have a conversation. Conversation creates thought. It creates, it moves us to that place. The history of the world would be nothing but peace if she hadn't done that. If she had just said, hold it there, devil. I don't know, we don't know if he was the devil or not. It was a serpent. Hold it there, snake. I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to go to the place. Evidently, God would meet them regularly. I think we can imply that by what we read in Genesis, that God would meet them Listen, God's showing up tomorrow in the cool of the day to talk to me and, me and Adam and God. We're going to have a conversation about this, and we'll get back to you on that. But she didn't do that. She didn't do that. The visit from God in Revelation 3.8 makes it clear that God was available for conversation. Remember all those, let every man hear what the Spirit says to the churches? Imagine having that availability of love, of wisdom, but thinking, nah. I'll enjoy the creative creativity of God, but I won't need the counsel of God. A lot of folks, you know, want to partake of the creativity of the church. The, the, the great sin today is for the church not to be creative. You better be creative. You better, your, your graphics better be interesting. Your music better be interesting. You, 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 better, have, you better have musicians... That everybody, if they don't get paid, everybody thinks they're getting paid. I, I asked one of the leaders of that church last Sunday, I said, Are, do your musicians get paid? They said, yes. Because it's a sin today. It's a sin not to be creative. The sermons better be creative. The building better be creative. Everything, we want everything to be creative because we've been to Disney World. The lights better be creative. But why would you just want the creativity of your church and not the counsel of your church? Because the counsel of your church is going to change your life far more than your church's creativity. You can get creativity. We, we can't even quite compete. I went to a John Mayer concert the other night. And the church, we're just not ready to compete with the creativity that they put into a John Mayer concert. We're good. We're good. We're really good here at Bethany. We have a great creative team. I am not embarrassed at all at what they do. But the world, the secular society, they got it, man, going on out there. But what we, what we have that they don't have, listen to me. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, folks. What we have that they don't have is the counsel of God. We may, have, we may rival their creativity on occasion. Sometimes we even get it better. But what we have that's going to change our life is thinking how God thinks, knowing what God knows, having his life-giving counsel. Do you hear me today? Another thing we, we, we expect from our church is redemption. Adam and Eve sinned. They messed up and then... God comes and he kills a lamb and he redeems them. And I love that part of the church. I love that we do that. But don't just seek the redemption of your church. Seek the recommendations of your church. Don't just seek the redemption. Because we will always be there to redeem you. 
I don't care how many times you fall, how many times you sin. We are sinning against God if we don't forgive you and we don't redeem you. But we would like to do something else. We would like to transform you. That's what we would like. We would like to see you not pay the price, the temporal price. We can give you eternal life, but we'd like to see you not pay the temporal price for those diversions. Those places we go off and get into. Now it's God's people. We must not tire of sacrificing to give redemption. But let's think together because we're to design. We are designed to discover truth through conversation. Number three, let us think together because the gifts of the Spirit and the wisdom of the ages lives in the church. If you, you ever think about all the thought that's in the church... The intelligence, evaluation, and wisdom of those of the truth that's that's spoken in churches. It doesn't just come from the people that are in the church today. It comes from the apostles, St. Augustine, Martin Luther, John Calvin, William Carey, William Wilberforce, John Newton, Jonathan Edwards, names that you may or may not be familiar with, George Whitfield, Sir Francis Bacon, Galileo, Blaise Pascal. More recently, Billy Graham and Ravi Zacharias and Timothy Keller. And then lesser known, but one of the great minds of today is Oz Guinness. I know you think the, the, the Guinness family is just known for one thing. <laughs> but, but actually, they are known for something else. Oz Guinness, the heir of the beer family, is a great man of God. And a, a, a man with a brain the size of a house. And he has a lot to say to us today. The wisdom of God is so available. Besides this list of people, the Bible has two lists of spiritual gifts that are given to the church. In Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, read those spiritual gifts. They're not given to any other organization. They're given to the church to be active and available as resources for our lives. We fall so short of the glory of God when we bring just our stomach to church and not our minds. I said we fall short of the glory of God. And I use the stomach as a metaphor. It's a metaphor of where you feel contented, satisfied, enjoyment of creativity. There's nothing wrong. God gave you a stomach. Nothing wrong with you filling it full of things that you like the taste of. But God also gave you a mind. God gave you a brain. God gave you a thought center. And he wants to fill your thought center with wisdom. With wisdom and brilliance. And he wants to fill your thought center with light instead of darkness. The minds of the men in the Bible talks about the Gentiles. Their minds were darkened. Their foolish minds were darkened. God wants to deliver you from foolishness. I said God wants to deliver us from foolishness. And he's given this wonderful group of people that are loving and caring, ready to redeem if, we, if, we're, if we're not wise, ready to forgive, ready to understand, but also ready to help us and inform us and help us get better and better. The Bible says the path of the just grows brighter and brighter to the perfect day. Let us think together because the spirit of gifts, spirit and the wisdom of the ages lives in the church. I close with Isaiah 117. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. 
defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the cause of the widow, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. That's not just me and God. That's all of us. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. Don't you love how he just makes his redemption and transformation all together? It's so beautiful how he does that. See, the word reason means to decide, prove, convince, and judge. May this be your prayer right now. May this be your prayer. God, I'm not looking for others to run my life or to relieve me of the arduous task of thinking on my own, but I will delight in the call to come now, let us reason together. I will delight in the call to come together. So how can I do that, Pastor? What you... We're having community groups sign up next week. That'd be a good place to start. Sign up for a community group. Walk across the room today and invite a, a new friend to lunch. Find out who spiritual leaders are in the room and those lifestyle questions. Go ask them, what do you think I should do? It won't be the end of the world if you disagree with them. Or if you decide not to do it, they're not going to come to your house and hurt you. You might learn and you might grow. Bring your questions to the people of God. Bring the questions of your life to the family of God. Let us reason together. If you're here today and you need prayer for any reason, it may have nothing to do with what I preached on, but you just want prayer. You need to be touched by God. Maybe you're like me last Sunday. I wasn't going there to have my life transformed. I went there to be edified, lifted up, and blessed. And maybe that's you. You're here today. I need to be edified, lifted up. We're happy to be that source of your blessing today. That's a privilege of ours. You don't have to listen to us think. You don't have to accept our opinions. You don't have to accept our opinion of Scripture. God loves you right where you are. We love you right where you are. So today, if you need prayer for any reason, maybe you are somebody who needs wisdom about a, something you're wrestling with, a lifestyle choice, a decision, an opportunity, a change that you think you might need to make. These guys are standing to pray with you. Would you come and be prayed for right now?